I heard a story about uh, this funeral home down south where the director decided to put a coffee shop uh, inside the funeral home. And, and he had a contest in the community to see who could come up with the best name for the, for the coffee shop. And he narrowed them down to two finalists, which I, as I'm giving you these two names, I, I can't even imagine what the uh, other uh, options were. Uh, but the second place choice was Still Above Grounds Cafe. And if you think that's bad, the winner was Time to Meet Your Mocha. <laughs> Those puns are worse than mine. I think Maylee would even, my daughter would even agree with that. And the reason he, he said he wanted to put a coffee shop into uh, his funeral home was, as he put it, to help the mourners get their minds off what's going on. And while I get the sentiment, actually the Bible doesn't counsel thinking less about the reality of death. In fact, it counsels us to think more about the reality of death, and not specifically about death, but the reality of the brevity of our lives here on this earth. And so uh, for the past several weeks, we've been in a series of lessons called Just a Mist, and that title really is a metaphor for the brevity of life. And so in James chapter 4, verse 14, uh, the Bible answer, asks the question, what is your life? What is your life? And it answers that question, you are just a mist. And every word the Bible uses to describe your lifespan and my lifespan uh, speaks to brevity, uh, emphasizes the brevity and the shortness of it. Vapor, shadow, dust, breath, grass, mist. And as I've said throughout this series, there will be at least three things on your tombstone when you die. First, there will be the date that you were born and you had no say about that day. Second, there will be the date that you die and you have little to say about that day and you don't know when it will be. But in between, in between those two dates, there will be a dash. And that's the one thing that you do have a lot to say about. And scripture is constantly urging us to align our priorities in view of the fact that that dash is pretty short. That the uncertainty of tomorrow should have a certain impact on how we're spending and living today. And so, so far in our series, we've heard from Moses, we've heard from Solomon, we've heard from Jesus himself. Uh, and today, although I've read that passage from James chapter 4, verse 14, each week of our series, we're going to hear a little bit more from James, the brother of Jesus who wrote those words. And we're going to look at the context for that verse in which that verse is written. That's kind of been our theme verse for this series. And it's interesting to me that James particularly speaks to people in the marketplace, to men and women in the world of business, because I think business has a special propensity for causing us to get distracted from the brevity of life. But while James's words may be directed specifically to those in the marketplace and in the business world, the reality is that I think they still hold power and truth for each and every one of us today. So listen to his counsel in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? There's that question. 
You are just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, earlier in the book of James, James describes two different kinds of wisdom. He says there's a wisdom that is earthly wisdom, and then there's another kind of wisdom, God's wisdom, that is from above. And I don't think there's anywhere in the world where the wisdom of the world, or I don't think there's anywhere where the wisdom of the world is more evident than in the way the business world operates. Notice the verbs James uses, go, spend a year, carry on business, make money. They're all grounded in the assumption that we can dictate the future by the power of the will. Now, does that remind you of anybody? And I'm not talking about specifically maybe in your life, or maybe it does, but do you remember what we just talked about last week, the story that we looked at last week that Jesus told about a successful businessman who tore down his barn to build a bigger barn because he had so much stuff that he needed to store in this bigger barn, and he just announced what the future was going to look like. He says, I'm just going to eat and drink and be merry because I've got stuff laid up for many years. But Jesus said, you're a fool. Because what he missed in his projected forecast was the reality that he was just a mist. James says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You are just a mist. And isn't that so true when you think about that practically? I mean, we have these life plans and we're going down this particular road and yet we're constantly having to take exit ramps that we didn't plan on. That we're living our lives constantly encountering detours that we didn't plan for. I think about the reality about how just a year ago, not even a year ago, how many of us had all these plans that we had for the summer and for the rest of of 2020 And yet we had no idea that here we would be, even still here today, still dealing with all the things that we are dealing with. Life refuses to be managed by mist. And James says, if you think that you can control the future, what's most often going to happen is that you're going to become arrogant and boastful. And the business world in many ways can enhance or, 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 or increase that attitude. And so James says, you, you better check yourself. You better tone it down. And so here's my advice. Here's our, his advice to us. Stay grounded by keeping mist in the forecast. Stay grounded by keeping mist in the forecast. We all have these designs for our dash that James says gets very close to the line called arrogant. But the reality is we're grass. We're dust. We're vapor. We are mist. We, we are just a shadow. And that awareness of our frailty should produce in us a kind of humility. I like how one person put what James is saying here in his own words. He said, your life is like the early morning fog. You cannot even guarantee tomorrow, much less next year. So you ought to consider God's will as you make your plans. And you better be ready to make some adjustments because you don't know the future, but you know who does. And so what I think James is suggesting is that in order for us to not be 
misguided. We need to allow ourselves to be misguided. That we allow ourselves to be guided by an awareness of our mistiness. That we are just a mist. And there are three thoughts I want to share with you that I think will keep us humble and keep us from going and crossing that line called arrogant. First, we need to be guided by the sovereignty of God. We need to be guided by the sovereignty of God. Now, I don't think that James is condemning or criticizing planning and foresight. If you're in the business realm, you ought to be making uh, astute projections as you study the trends of your particular career. I think those are noble and good things to do. And even apart from the business world, planning and foresight are are good things to, to be involved in. Even the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. And remember, it it wasn't raining when Noah started building the ark. And so there's nothing wrong with with planning. And so, you know, it's not wrong to have a, a savings account. It's not wrong to start putting aside money for your for your children's college. It's not wrong to have an insurance policy or to plan for your retirement. But while you're making your plans, you need to humbly acknowledge that the future does not recognize you or me as its master. There are contingencies ahead for all of us that we cannot order, that we cannot control. You see, only God can make fixed plans because only God is a completely and wholly independent being. I'm not, you're not. Our lives are constantly being affected by things that we can't control, by things that we depend on that are out of our control. Our lives are affected by health issues we can't control. Our lives are affected by economic issues that are often out of our control. Our lives are affected by relational realities and issues that that sometimes we have no control over. Because the world does not recognize my sovereignty and does not bow to my whims and to my will. And so we're constantly having to make adjustments and, and detours in our lives. Only God, who is completely independent, can announce the future And not have to wonder if it's going to come to fruition. And that's why James says, if it is the Lord's will, ought to constantly be on our lips. Now, what does he mean by if it is the Lord's will? Because, you know, sometimes we we kind of throw that phrase out there and you hear people use that phrase almost kind of like a, a, a cliche, right? But what I think James is saying is you need to live your life with with a kind of orientation, with a kind of attitude that is willing without griping and complaining, and that's important, doesn't mean we can't have questions sometimes, but without griping and complaining to adjust to new and unanticipated possibilities. For example, let me just show you how the Apostle Paul lived this way. So he's in Corinth in in Acts chapter 18. He's about to leave. The people who are there in Corinth want him to stay. And so he says in verse 21 that it says in verse 21 that as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then later in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he writes and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend more time with you. Notice, if the Lord permits. He wrote to the Roman church saying in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. 
And so here's an apostle of God on mission from God. God's got a very specific task and agenda that he has for Paul, but he's constantly aware of his surrender to the timing and the will of God. Because Paul has his own plans, and we read in other places in Acts about his own plans that he, you know, trying to accomplish the mission of God, but he's constantly aware of his surrender to the timing and the will of God. In other words, he says, if it is God's will. When he's saying that, he's not saying, God, here's, here's my agenda, and if you don't mind, I'd rather you not bother it. You know, and if it works out that it fits into your agenda, that's good, but, but here's my agenda, and I just prefer you follow that. He's not saying that, but rather he's asking for God to accomplish God's will and God's agenda. Because true wisdom and humility grants to God the permission to change our plans. Because you know what? He's going to do it anyway, even without our permission. And so you might as well just submit to his sovereignty and his will and his timing. And I think that's what James is counseling us to do. I love what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And, and in reality, that's, that's good news. Because the reality is we don't have all that many steps to take. And so we hope that God is determining them. Because again, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, another thought that guides us into humility as we live out our dash is just the recognition of the brevity of life. That's kind of the theme of this whole series. So of course I'm going to come, keep coming back to it. But just the recognition of the brevity of life and being guided by that, that recognition and that reality. We're just fog. And fog doesn't have the foggiest idea if it's going to be around tomorrow or not. By the way, that's not just a New Testament concept. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. And so that's what James is confronting, that idea of bragging about tomorrow. He's not saying that it's wrong to be in the marketplace or it's wrong to be in, in the world of business. He's not saying it's wrong to, to make plans and to, and to have some foresight and plan for the future. He says it's wrong and it's foolish to think that you can order the future, to think that you're guaranteed anything but right now. And so look again at James chapter 4, verse 14 from a different translation. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. How many of us have said the words, I'm going to save this for a special occasion? You know, I'm saving this particular item for a special occasion. And, and I get the thought, and I've said it myself, but you see, here's the reality. Cemeteries are full of people who had awesome plans for tomorrow. But we're not promised tomorrow. We're not entitled to tomorrow. All we're promised is today. And so every day you're alive is a special occasion. You know, all the biblical metaphors, dust, grass, vapor, smoke, shadow, mist, they're all warning against seeing life and tomorrow as an entitlement, as something that, that we are due, that we are entitled to. And especially in our worst Western culture, we just assume and think we deserve more time. And we get angry, frustrated when it's cut short. But the Bible says that life 
is not an entitlement. Tomorrow is not an entitlement. Life is a daily mercy. Every day that we can wake up and get out of bed is a gift, a gift that we didn't deserve, a gift that needs to be embraced, a gift that needs to be enjoyed. And the reality is that when we start understanding that life is a limited resource, I think we actually start enjoying it more. We find the daily joys in life more because it will make some things clearer. You see, you can't add years to your life but you can't add life to your years. And actually, instead of this crazy illusion that we can control the future, which only in the end produces anxiety and worry and stress and frustration and arrogance, we would actually enjoy life more if we would give up the notion that we can control it. And if we would just embrace each day for its challenges and its blessings. The Bible doesn't say number your years. That's what we do, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Count your days, because that way you're much more likely to do things every day that really count. Because here's the thing, most people don't waste their lives by what they're doing. Most of us waste our lives by what we never get around to doing. And that leads right into the last thing I think James wants to teach us, and that is, that is missed, we need to be guided by the thought of the opportunity of now. Guided by the opportunity of now. We can't plan for the future. I mean, we can, but we don't know what's going to happen, right? We, 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 can't, we can't definitively say this is what's going to happen in the future, but we can live in the moment. We can live right now. I think that's why this last verse in the paragraph in this section of James is mentioned. Look again at verse 17. This is from a different translation than we read earlier, but he says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And I think what James is saying here is you're so obsessed about tomorrow and next week and next year and what you're going to do then and what you're going to do there and you're missing the moment of right now. There's good to do today that you're not doing because you're obsessing about tomorrow. And the Bible is, is constantly urging us to live in the moment and to do the good we can right now because we're not promised tomorrow, but what we do have is today. Like in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, whenever we have the opportunity, which is today, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith, because isn't it true that old saying that life is what's happening while we're busy making plans? Here's the reality. Yesterday is a canceled note. Tomorrow is just a promissory note. Today is all the time capital we have to spend. And so spend it wisely. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll say it again. You really do have time to do everything God wants you to do. But a huge part of that is recognizing the value of the moment. And I think that's what James is trying to help us to do. You know, I, I hear people say this phrase all the time or something similar. God really showed up, right? God, God really made his presence 
known. And I, I know what people mean, and I'm, I'm not speaking bad about that phrase. I mean, I've, I've said that phrase myself, and I get that there, there are times when you just feel this special empowering or, or a special manifest presence of God in, in this particular situation or this moment in your life or this circumstance that you're going through, but you really think about that phrase for just a moment. Where was God all the other times? I mean, was it that, that God was lost all those other times and he just showed up, right? He was, he was running a little bit late and he just showed up here or, you know, was God gone? You see, I think a more biblical perspective is that every single moment is bathed in the presence of God. If we would just have the eyes and the ears to sense him, to open our eyes and see him all around and in each and every moment. And I believe if we could grasp that, we would be much, much more hospitable to just the daily interruptions of our lives. Because there are going to be exit ramps and there are going to be detours that you didn't see coming. I'm amazed. You just look at Jesus. I'm amazed at how calmly he seemed to handle interruptions. I mean, constantly someone was coming up to him uh, for an encounter that wasn't planned. Someone was needing something that, that wasn't on the schedule. And it would frustrate the disciples, right? You read about that multiple times, but it never seemed to frustrate Jesus. I mean, he lived so in tune with the inner whispers of, of the Spirit that instead of seeing those interruptions as you know, getting in the way of my work, he saw those interruptions as part of his work, as part of God's bigger plan. And so he didn't live frenzied and he didn't live frustrated. Truth is, he didn't live long, but he did everything God wanted him to do. And my guess is that some of us, because we've bought into this wisdom of the world, are living so frenzied and so harried and so frustrated and we're letting our issues about tomorrow rob us of the joy we could be having today. As the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, in today. Or like the old saying goes, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Every moment we get to live is a sheer gift of grace. And what we receive as a gift, we should be willing to share as a gift. And so I would just ask you, and I would challenge myself as well, to be more patient with the detours and the exit ramps and the interruptions of life. Because God is in them. And there's joy you're missing today because you think that your plan for tomorrow is getting frustrated. And being that James is specifically addressing those in the business world and the marketplace here in this section, I do want to, as we kind of wrap things up, say something uh, to, especially to those who live constantly in that realm. Although again, this is, this is good advice for all of us. So just because you're not in that realm um, on a regular basis or even at all, don't think this doesn't apply to you because I, I think it applies to, to all of us. But, but here's what I think James would say. Be careful of the subtle pressure to lean into a way of thinking and operating that promotes worry and anxiety and frustration 
and arrogance. Be careful to lean into a way of thinking and a way of operating that promotes and, and intensifies those things. Author and theologian William Willimon wrote a book called What's Right with the Church? And in it, he tells a story about how he was teaching a Sunday school class one day for a bunch of young families, young married couples, uh, about the, and the subject of the class was about the temptations of Jesus. And, and after he taught the lesson, there was some time for, for sharing and some discussion talk. And, and he asked the class, he said, well, what, what are we tempted by today? What are some things that we're tempted by today? And he said, he'll never forget what young, one young father uh, said to him. He said, this young father said, I'll tell you a temptation. A temptation is getting called in before your boss like I was last week and being told, we think a lot of you, young man. We think you have a great future with our company and we want to expand your territory. To which the young man said, I don't know if I want more territory. I'm already away from my home four nights a week and I've got a wife and a new baby girl. And the boss said, son, we're thinking about your family. Think about how much more money you can make. Think about all the ways that you can provide for your little baby girl now and provide for her future and provide for your family. And the young man said to Willimon, now that's temptation. And it is. And so I want to say to all of us, but especially those of us in the business realm, mind your own busyness. Mind your own busyness. Busyness is grounded in the assumption that you can control the future. If you could just work a little more, if you could just grind a little harder, then you can dictate what's going to happen next because you can just make enough money, you, you can provide enough stuff that you can dictate what the future is going to be like. But that thinking, James says, is boastful and it's harmful. I think it's interesting that in the Chinese language to, to create the pictograph for the idea of, of busyness. They take the symbol for the heart and then they take the symbol for killing and they put them together. And some of us are not bringing life but bringing death into the things that really are the most important to us because we're chasing a wisdom that is foolish. You're dashing through life instead of living your dash. But the day will come when what you have missed won't be foggy. I read an interesting article by a woman named Bronnie Ware. She's a palliative nurse, which means she uh, takes care of people in the last stages of, of life. And, and one of the things she'd do as she's spending time with these patients is she would engage them in some some meaningful conversations because when you get to the end of your life, you, you start to reflect and you have you know, a little bit more clarity. You start to think about some things. And she, so she would have some, some really deep and meaningful conversations with, with her patients. And what she noticed was that so many of them were filled in their last days with regrets because they had not made their days count like they wish they had. And so she wrote about the five regrets that she heard the most. Here they are. One was, I, I regret that I didn't have the courage to be my real self. I spent too much of my life trying to be what the world said I was supposed to be. Another regret was, I worked too much. And by the way, she said every male patient she had had that regret, said that regret, verbalized that regret. Another regret was, I didn't deal honestly with my feelings. And she said that a lot of people that she worked with 
died with feelings of resentment and bitterness that actually, in, in some cases, exacerbated the illness that they were already dealing with. Another regret that people had was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Because when you get to the end, the very end of your dash, your goal is not going to be to see who in the cemetery has the biggest will. You're going to know that you're rich if you had a lot of people that you loved and who loved you. And then finally, another regret, last regret she listed. I wish I'd let myself be happier. Wish I'd let myself be happier. She said that she noticed in the last hours that many people confessed, I really could have chosen, I could have chosen to be a happier person, but I got stuck in habits and attitudes that I wasn't willing to break. And a lot of the misery of my life was my option. You know, the day is coming when you and I are going to have phenomenal clarity about what really counts. But my prayer for us is that we will have it now and not then, so that what is most important will not be missed.